Welcome to episode 357 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a really insightful conversation with regular contributor, animal rights activist, director of the Environmental Law Program for Friends of Animals, attorney Michael Harris. We talk with Michael about birds, about snowshoeing in Denver, Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar speech, Martha Nussbaum, the professor, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918, carrier pigeons, wind energy, and climate change, among other areas of discourse. A grand conversation with our good friend, Michael Harris. We also have an EWSA titled Little Fuzzy World. We share with you Joaquin Phoenix's recent Oscar acceptance speech and an excerpt from Peter Singer's piece titled Equality for Animals and a poem called Hearts. All of this, of course, as is always the case, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 357 of Troubadours and Tours.
fuzzy little world. The naive ones smell victory prematurely. I have a tendency to think the world revolves around me. How about you? Our species with its gods and human martyrs so elevated in our mythology and cultural topography inspires one to be one, or instead we prostrate ourselves in worship or rise up in defiance. Either way, it is about how we see who and what we should be in the context of this everything. It is all here for us. Am I correct, Mr. Aquinas? Ms. Nussbaum, have you any thoughts on this subject matter? Our personhood, perhaps we could call it. Joaquin Phoenix, what a joker. He has brought it up at the Oscars. Cows crying for their calves because human people take them away shortly after they are born. Poor heifers, sad and forlorn. And what we do next is squeeze their teeth and around their necks affix iron wreaths celebrating their sacrifices in the service of our human paradise. How can we not be filled with a sense that, if not them, then me, when our psyche through religion and cultural mores, and perhaps to our base nature, prompts and drives us to grab and consume, stockpile and build all that we can, we start on it right out of the womb. It is who we are, who we have become, just like you, just like me, promiscuously human. Victory today smells like fresh brewed coffee steeping in the French press and sandalwood incense together, settling the perceived duress of my fuzzy little world. I just want to live inside sometimes Don't want to have to beg you to subscribe Are you a man before your father dies? But what's a man these days I hear you cry? Are we raising up our children right? Is my career gonna reignite? See all the virtue signalers tonight. I want that bandwagon to pass me by. Well, I've been scratching around in the dirt, looking for meaning in the cold, cold earth. So gather in what's left of your self-worth There's only love in what survives of us Cause I hold on to you And you hold on to me A tiny victory In the age of anxiety those kids know that I was somebody And I've kept all my texts remaining My mother was one of those buddies Another stranger off the ferry Don't wanna put my hands up in the air And raise my phone up like I just don't care Time and all 
magic And be the kind who's blind to all this magic So here comes your European exit With asylum seekers in your attic So I hold on to you And you hold on to me It's a tiny victory in the age of anxiety Today I do not feel like being strong I don't want to admit to the world I'm wrong Don't make me feel that I have to belong I hope the band won't make me sing alone Cause I hope Sunny victory In the age of anxiety A shining victory In the age of anxiety Michael Harris, Attorney Michael Harris, how are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, it's nice to have you back on the program. Well, thank you very much. It's it's uh, good to be back. We're Mike in the dead of winter here in Colorado. Yeah, Denver, Colorado, correct? Just south of Denver, but yes. Just so we, just south. Is it a, a little mountain village you live in, or something to that effect? Well, you know, we're at a 
we're at a little high range, but we're still out on the on the plains a little bit. Um, we live in a in a little town between Castle Rock and Denver. So as you leave Denver, you do gain some altitude. So our house is about sixty four hundred feet. Wow. So we do get some snow here when it does, and uh, we've had three pretty good sized storms in the last uh, fifteen days or so. But with that said, it was 71 degrees on Super Bowl Sunday. So. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess uh, is that normal, or are we gonna are we gonna say that has something to do with man's uh, interaction with the natural environment? I think uh, probably the amount of snow we got is more um, more uh, related to climate change than our ups and downs in the weather. You know, we get a lot of sunshine here, and our, with our altitude, it can warm up pretty well in the wintertime. But we have I've never seen this much snow. We got a lot last winter, too, so it's a little bit of a two-year trend now. How many inches, would you say? Well, you know, it's interesting. So uh, they said that uh, at, the, at, at the beginning of December, uh, Denver had already received more snow than Juneau had received, wow. which, which is like a, a close to two feet. And uh, then we went to a, through a dry spell in January, and then this month we've been storm after storm just about every other day. I would say since February 1st, uh, we've gotten, uh, because it snowed just before the Super Bowl, and then it's been it snowed three times since, we've probably gotten about 15 inches here where I live. Wow, wow. And, um, and pile that on top of what was left over from, uh, from last year. We got a, we got a nice four-foot pile that's bordering our house for sure from last year still oh uh, well you know where the sun hasn't <laughs> melted it yeah that's you know, amazing we, we definitely for instance i have i still have a couple stakes in the ground from holiday decorations that i could never get out that were frozen over <laughs> <laughs> you must have some major equipment to help you move that snow around no, but I got an eight-year-old who's getting bigger and stronger. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm that way too. I'm old-fashioned. I do it with with a regular old shovel and get the boys out to help me and the girls yep. both. Um, anyway, by the way, folks, we're talking to our regular contributor, attorney Michael Harris. He's many, many good things. Among them, he's uh, a staunch environmentalist. He is the director of the Environmental Law Program for Friends of Animals. Uh, based, I think, in New England, but you're out in the office in Colorado, as we mentioned. Yeah, our folks are back in Connecticut. And uh, today we want to talk a little bit about, well, I I know you brought it to my attention, uh, and I, I wasn't even aware uh, until you mentioned it to me the day after the Oscars, Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar speech, uh, and why that was so compelling, and perhaps you'll even call it important. Yeah. Well, you know, I was taken back by it. I was I was watching the show live when he won his award. And, you know, quite frankly, with that person, you don't know what he's going to say. Right. And where his mind is at half the time anyway. And I, I have heard that he's uh, given speeches on human rights before and he's passionate about about those types of things. But, you know, he delivered just a really compelling, passionate argument from the heart about our treatment of animals, our treatment of the natural world, our relationship with other forms of life. And uh, if you've seen it, I mean, there's there's really no way to describe it. You just got to see it yourself and your listeners, if they haven't, should Google it. And for me, it's really, you know, 
whenever you hear someone talking about the type of work you're doing with that kind of passion, you know, it, it puts a smile on your face. I've also been spending a lot of time writing about those issues myself in the past couple months. And in fact, um, I've been doing a lot of research about historical. And when I'm talking about historical, I'm talking about you know, philosophers going out before Christ was born and what their thinking is on animals and their relationships to human. And so I've been reading just a, a whole slew of uh, quotes from people and, and philosophers and scientists and other thinkers and um, on animals. And so it was right in the forefront of my mind. And then all of a sudden, here's this guy who comes out on stage and, you know, he's just saying it better than I could write it for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that that gives you it always gives you um, a lot to be thankful for when people are talking about these issues. But you know what? Why it's important to me is, and I say in this in my paper is, you know, it's great to hear individual thinkers and uh, spouse their views and their passions about it. But it's not going to help, right? If we don't if we don't have a system in place to um, you know to make change, walk the walk. Yeah, to make change. I mean, uh, you know, it would be like we don't have any traffic laws. And every once in a while, some brilliant person said, you know, people should really slow down once in a while. Um, that's great. And that's really smart and probably probably has a lot of um, of um, uh, would have a lot of benefits. But if we didn't have a legislative process and a, and a way to make laws to make that happen, then it's just someone saying it from time to time and the rest of us shaking our heads going, yeah, good idea. And so that's really, you know, what we're trying to do is, you know, take those that thinking about our relationship with animals and try to develop some type of a, a codific codification of a, of a set of rules or a system so that it's not just something said in passing. It's it's something that's taken into consideration when we make decisions that affect these animals. Now, when you say that's something that we're trying to do, are you talking about Friends of Animals? Sure. Friends of Animals, uh, it, certainly that's what our program is, is trying to do. And one of our major um, projects is to develop some type of, as I mentioned on this program before, ethical right of consideration for non-human animals. Uh, there are other groups out there, of course, that are passionate about it, too. Um, people have brought lawsuits trying to establish personhood for animals. But we're really trying to think of a way of, 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 of altering the way humans think about the environment and the animal world when we make decisions that affect them. So it's not necessarily saying you cannot do this or you have to do this. It's a way of saying in the process of reaching these decisions, whether it's to build a road, whether it's to log a forest, whether it's to um, enact or not enact certain wildlife protection laws, how do we best account for the lives of the other animals that are going to be affected by our actions? Almost like a, a NEPA specifically focused on animals? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And we sort of see NEPA as sort of like a primitive tool to start to advance this work. Um, interestingly enough, we were making arguments uh, of this sort before a court in New York City that um, retorted, well, NEPA isn't an animal rights statute. Well, yeah, but it's the best we have right now for trying to get before decision makers um, this information about the other lives they're affecting. 
Yeah, NEPA, for people who don't know, especially people who listen to our program in northeastern Pennsylvania, they'll think we're talking about them. Uh, it's the National Environmental Policy Act, and it it was uh, put. It's a federal law put into place back in uh, 1970, I think, 6970. And all it does is it makes any federal agency that has a significant project, um, and those words are, are loaded words, uh, consider using an environmental assessment or an environmental impact statement, the effects on the natural environment. And it gets more complicated than that, but an overview, they have to compel, they're compelled to consider it, not to yeah. protect it or anything, but to consider it. Yeah, and, and the hope, of course, is, and, and this is true, I think, when people do deeply consider an issue and they see what they are actually doing, they do make changes. I'm not saying that they always make changes, but people do process information and many of us still have moral compasses and new information will come into play that will say, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't do it that way. Maybe we're affecting something that uh, isn't what we really need to do. And so that's the that's the point. And, and I think it's the first step. And hopefully, if you're gathering that information on a regular basis, then you start talking about, hmm, do we need to make different laws that just protect these things in a better way. And so it's a leaping stone, I think. And we see this. Well, I think the National Environmental Policy Act uh, was one of the very first tools that were um, used by decision makers to evaluate the effects of climate change because there were no laws. Congress hadn't passed anything. And NEPA was seen as, oh, we, at least we get the information processed in a public way and maybe it'll make a difference. And what we've seen, I think, in the last 15 years is more and more people are aware, more and more people are active in trying to change the law so that we won't have an ongoing issue with with emitting carbon into our environment. So, yeah, I think that's a, a very NEPA is a very uh, primitive but a very effective tool to start to process this information. And there's a lot of information out there, and we've talked about that on this program before. I, I just think that when people uh, to get a chance to take a look at how much science is learning about the lives that animals live, um, it becomes a very effective tool. Now, you say, I agree, you, you said you were writing a lot lately. Are you preparing a brief or are you writing a book? Uh, and is it in regards to what we're discussing here and now? In between, I'm not writing a book, although I, I think it's the first part of a book, I'm writing an article uh, entitled A Right of Ethical Consideration. And um, I'm actually hoping that this weekend we'll be putting the final touches on it. And um, then I'll probably distribute it or I will distribute it to some folks for their feedback, including Martha Nussbaum, who is writing a book on this. Um, and it's obviously going to be read much more than I will. Um, Martha being a professor of of philosophy and law at the University of Chicago. Yeah, she's a rock star in academia, basically. A rock star, yeah. And so um, part of it is because, uh, you know, she has she has uh, worked with me extensively on the program and on the law side of it um, that I, I want to get this paper out and also to give her some thinking to put into her book, too, um, on the legal side of it. So, Excellent. And, and where do you hope this article will be published? Well, I'll probably publish it through one of the law schools, through their journals. I think that, for me, is the most accessible route. And 
I would like to say, you know, I'm going to get it published at some major law school, but I'll take any one that people read. Right, right, exactly. Uh, I can't wait to read it myself. Make sure you send me a copy when you when you feel it's ready. I will definitely, and maybe I'll send it to Joaquin too, and he'll join in on our cause here. And oh, great idea! <laughs> great idea. I'll mention you at the next Oscars. <laughs> right, that would that would be a big boom for my program. <laughs> Now, I want to I want to uh, touch on something you said. You said many of us still have uh, a moral compass, and and you know you wanted to talk about migratory uh, migratory birds and our and a law that we have at the federal level, and uh, some people who maybe really you can question whether or not they do have a moral compass. Uh, these folks work for the uh, administration of President Forty Five. Uh, tell us what's going on with the migratory uh, migratory birds and, and uh, the federal law that is now being sort of, uh, I guess some people would say, diminished. Right. And speaking of a place that doesn't have a moral compass, it's the Trump administration, obviously. And uh, when it comes to the environment, that is um, extremely true. And not only, by the way, we were just talking about the National Environmental Policy Act just to, to just sort of lead into the what's going on with the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, NEPA too is under attack. In fact, there was a huge rally here in Denver um, on Tuesday of this week, and there'll be one uh, later this month in Washington, D.C., because uh, the administration is also trying to really undermine the ability of NEPA to distribute and process the information that the administration obviously would rather not be processed and distributed huh. on the effects of their 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 um, decision making on the environment likewise what we're seeing is the administration trying to diminish what this is what's amazing about the migratory bird treaty act because no one ever talks about it but it is like the oldest conservation law in this country 1918 1918 that's crazy right and a half century later in the 70s, the Supreme Court in U.S. versus Holland said it was still one of the most important conservation laws ever passed by this country. And so it has withstood the test of time until this administration. <laughs> it's crazy, right? And what's even really interesting about the, the act itself is what it is. It's not necessarily a conservation law in itself. There were no conservationists uh, of that sort in government in 1918, there were a number of people thinking about how to use our natural resources um, coming out of the Teddy Roosevelt model um, and to make sure that we didn't deplete them, but not how to necessarily make it illegal to, you know, to, to kill, to kill an animal. But what had happened in the years leading up to 1918 was we saw Migratory birds around the world just diminish in numbers that we couldn't even imagine. I mean, one of the stories that people may be familiar with is the passenger pigeon. Yes. Right? Where one year they blacken the sky. Less than a decade later, none exist. And this, this happened back in the early part of the 20th century when they were eradicated, basically, right? Yes, and it was really the trigger, I think, to people thinking about protections for migratory bird, birds, because it wasn't just happening to the passenger pigeon. It was happening to essentially all 
bird life um, around the world. People were just open season on these animals, um, particularly those that were considered to be um, threats to crops um, or were just sport hunted or used for the fashion industry plumage. And then the amount of bird life um, around the world just plummeted between the late 19th century and the early 20th century. And this is astonishing, right? Yes. It's not just the United States passing a law to protect migratory birds. It's the Migratory Bird Treaty Act because it, it is the domestic implementation of treaties with the United Kingdom, Canada, Mexico, Japan, and Russia, which is an astonishing. When do those countries ever sign anything? We're not talking about an economic deal. We're not talking about the you know setting into place some type of deterrent war you know defense mechanism treaty. We're talking about a treaty to protect birds and protect and animals, animal species. And so it's an astonishing law. Um, but what what the heart of all this is is provisions that. Um, have to do with what's called incidental take of species. Um, because the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and, and, all, and the treaties themselves were very effective at preventing the um, deliberate or intentional killing of these animals, making it, uh, making it uh, subject to criminal and civil penalties, um, the real threat to birds, and frankly, the real threat to wildlife today around the world is what is we call incidental. And that is the taking of these animals uh, for uh, because they get in the way or they are killed during the process of some type of environmental, excuse me, economic activity. So um, about five or six years ago, there was a lot of news stories, for instance, about the impact the wind industry has had on, on birds, yeah. in particular, Raptors like eagles and and uh, hawks and the number of deaths um, contributed attributed excuse me to the wind industry is pretty astonishing every year. Um, and Donald Trump uses that all the time as a reason to not support uh, wind energy. It, right, and then on the other hand, he is trying to get rid of these protections altogether. Um, I mean, you know. You, there was a time when just building buildings and skyscrapers was a big um, part of the incidental take of bird life. And we adapted because of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, because it was unlawful to kill these birds, we adapted, we modified building techniques, um, we modified the, the, the types of glass that are used in buildings, more reflective materials, let birds know that there's obstacles, our parents put little stickers on the sliding glass windows so they wouldn't fly into them, if you remember that. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, and, the you know, the industry has taken steps to adapt as well. Another big threat, uh, incidental threat to wildlife and birds in particular are, you know, open pits associated with oil and natural gas production where there's waste pits. And some of these pits are huge. I mean, there's a reason why birds land on them. They look like lakes. Yeah. 
and then they end up ingesting the, the poison the poisons in these waters and some or they're just pure oil in some cases that they're being used as holding pits so all of these things um, cost industry a lot of money to mitigate and that's what this is all about is trying to uh, eliminate these requirements for industry uh, so once again the economic uh, I guess sidestepping of of uh, very rich industries at the uh, at the detriment of you know, a species that can't really uh, protect themselves. And, and you know, even th- those of us who are in the same species as these rich folk uh, also being um, harmed by, by th- their approach to, to taking the natural resources from our planet. Yeah, I mean, that, that's right down what it boils to. I, I think the astonishing part, right, is that a lot of these companies have have adapted to complying with these laws. And, and the important point to remember is that it, it's not criminal if a bird is incidentally taken. That's not the, what the law says. What the law requires is that you take best efforts to mitigate the killing of these, these birds and other statutes of wildlife in the process of these economic activities. And a lot of companies have done just that. Now, that doesn't mean that they wouldn't be more profitable or prefer not to spend money on mitigation, but they have adapted. And so clearly there, there must be remaining opposition, um, but the administration seems to be taking steps that are even out of sync with what most industries have um, done to comply with the laws in the last decade. When Obama was in office and the, it was first came to light about the effect of the wind industry, there was a lot of controversy over it, but there was a process and there was uh, ultimately some permitting decisions made about what types of mitigation would be effective and industry started to implement those. So, you know, you have to wonder, I guess, is this really about uh, Trump catering to real opposition and real economic um, uh, arguments, or is this just again, you know, trying to undermine some some uh, compromises that were reached by Obama <laughs> yeah. that that he he just wants to thrash some more. You know, you you would hope. I mean, at the very least, it was the former. At least it's just a philosophical policy difference. Yeah, and not just you know like real lobbyists. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. Michael Harris, by the way, folks we're talking to, he's uh, an environmental law attorney, and he works for the director. He is the director, excuse me, not works for her. He's not the assistant to the director. He is the director of the environmental law program. That was an uh, The Office reference. I don't know if you watched the program, The Office. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, for Friends of Animals, a great organization. And we're talking to him uh, at his office in Denver, Colorado, and uh, we've been talking uh, about migratory birds and and uh, a bit about the snow that's fallen in his neck of the woods and uh, uh, also personhood and ethical rights of consideration. He's writing a nice paper on it. Can't wait to read it. I, I also wanted to mention that article that you you shared with me to, to read before our conversation today. Uh, 
put put out uh, a bit of information that I wasn't aware of. It was kind of it took it, it kind of took me by surprise. Since 1970, and this connects to what we're talking about, uh, the American bird population has reduced by a million. About. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so there's definitely been, and even more recently, even more of, a, of an alarm sounded. Um, clearly, industry is taking its toll uh, on wildlife and birds in particular, but um, climate change is as well. And what's happening, of course, is that as the, I mean, just even a degree or two uh, in temperature change could really impact a niche for a particular bird species. And so, um, you know, we're just seeing there less breeding happening in areas. We're seeing more animals killed in areas. But yeah, the Audubon Society has had some really interesting reports in the last few years about um, the bird population globally. And it's pretty, it's, it, it's basically thinking back to why we have the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and what was happening a century ago. And again, the reason we have the birds, besides the fact that you and I would agree they're important just because they exist, uh, but they also serve a purpose to the larger ecosystem. Well, sure. I mean, in, in addition to uh, um, you know being food for a, a large number of animals, they also um, move around plant species because they carry their seeds in their in their bellies and ultimately in their feces and they, you know, fertilize things when they, you know, they're, they're, they're hugely part of our ecosystem. Yeah. And I, you know, and again, aside from all of that, I love to hear them sing. I love to watch them fly. I think they're beautiful creatures going, going back for the ages. If you listen to the poets, you look at some of the great painters and engineers, the birds, birds have always been an inspiration to men. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see how anybody sh- couldn't see how, the importance of them. And, you know, and, and for the average person, right, the amount of wildlife, let, I mean, just the amount of non-human species that they actually have in their life is extremely small, right? We see a squirrel. We see a cat. We see a dog. You know, we see bugs and insects from time to time. Um, but, but we all know that the amount of diversity on this planet, right, is crazy. There's one square, you know, section of a rainforest contains hundreds of thousands of species, right? And most of us will never see even a fraction of a percent of the, of the amount of, um, life on earth, right? But the birds, we actually have paid attention, would see a probably the biggest diversity that we could see in life is paying attention to birds. You know, they just travel by us. They travel among us. Right. Um, and you know, you could really, if you pay attention, see an incredible amount of diversity in your yard, in your town or your community. Um, it's, it's, it's really amazing. Uh, they are, they are our closest connection. If we paid attention to the world around us. Michael Harris, I think that's a great place to uh, end this go around our conversation this time. Wonderful talking with you, Attorney Michael Harris, uh, again, Director of the Environmental Law Program 
for Friends of Animals, a regular contributor on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, I'm happy to say. Keep up the good fight, and uh, when you're done with that article, I'd love to read it. Okay, thank you, E.W. I'll send it to you, and um, uh, you have you and your your listeners have a great week, and thanks again. Oh, our pleasure, Michael. Take care. Enjoy the snow. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Quoting session! What do you mean, oh, 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 Mr. Quoting session! Order! My name is George Roughneck, and I will not tolerate any disobedience in my courtroom. Rude boy, you have been brought in front of me and tried to smash in this woman's window. Before I sentence you, what have you got to say in your defense? I was walking down the street one night when I saw her silhouette in a bathroom light.
man, where did you get that nice Santa? Take him away! An excerpt from Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar acceptance speech in February 2020. But I think the greatest gift that it's given me and many people in this industry is the opportunity to use our voices for the voiceless. I've been thinking about some of the distressing issues that we've been facing collectively. I think at times we feel or are made to feel that we champion different causes. But for me, I see commonality. I think whether we're talking about gender inequality or racism or queer rights or indigenous rights or animal rights, we're talking about the fight against injustice. We're talking about the fight against the belief that one nation, one people, one race, one gender, one species has the right to dominate, use, and control another with impunity. I think we've become very disconnected from the natural world. Many of us are guilty of egocentric worldview, and we believe that we're the center of the universe. We go into the natural world and we plunder it for its resources. We feel entitled to artificially inseminate a cow and steal her baby, even though her cries of anguish are unmistakable. Then we take her milk that's intended for her calf and we put it in our coffee and our cereal. We fear the idea of personal change because we think we need to sacrifice something, to give something up. But human beings are at our best, are so creative and inventive, and we can create, develop, and implement systems of change that are beneficial to all sentient beings and the environment. I've been a scoundrel all my life. I've been selfish. I've been cruel at times, hard to work with. And I'm grateful that so many of you in this room have given me a second chance. I think that's when we are at our best, when we support each other, not when we cancel each other out for our past mistakes, but when we help each other to grow, when we educate each other, when we guide each other to redemption. When he was 17, my brother, River wrote this lyric. He said, run to the rescue with love and peace will follow. And now an excerpt from a piece titled Practical Ethics, written by Australian philosopher and pioneering animal rights advocate, Peter Singer in 1979. Equality for animals. This suggestion may at first seem bizarre. We are used to regarding the oppression of blacks and women as among the most important moral and political issues facing the world today. These are serious matters, worthy of the time and energy of any concerned person. But animals? Surely the welfare of animals is in a different category altogether, a matter for old ladies in tennis shoes to worry about. How can anyone waste their time on equality for animals when so many humans are denied real equality? This attitude reflects a popular prejudice against taking the interests of animals seriously, a prejudice no better founded than the prejudice of white slave owners against taking the interests of blacks seriously. It is easy for us to criticize the prejudices of our grandfathers from which our fathers freed themselves. 
it is more difficult to distance ourselves from our own beliefs so that we can dispassionately search for prejudices among them. What is needed now is a willingness to follow the arguments where they lead without a prior assumption that the issue is not worth attending to. The argument for extending the principle of equality beyond our own species is simple, so simple that it amounts to no more than a clear understanding of the nature of the principle of equal consideration of interests. We have seen that this principle implies that our concern for others ought not to depend on what they are like or what abilities they possess, although precisely what this concern requires us to do may vary according to the characteristics of those affected by what we do. It is on this basis that we are able to say that the fact that some people are not members of our race does not entitle us to exploit them. And similarly, the fact that some people are less intelligent than others does not mean that their interests may be disregarded. But the principle also implies that the fact that beings are not members of our species does not entitle us to exploit them. And similarly, the fact that other animals are less intelligent than we are does not mean that their interests may be disregarded.
Hearts. Snow plows scraping roughshod across the asphalt roads of this sleepy hillside hamlet on Valentine's morning, as our children sleep deep in their beds, dreaming of their boyfriends and girlfriends, cupcakes with pink icing and little red candy hearts.
Episode 357 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our regular contributor, attorney Michael Harris. Keep up the good fight, my friend. I also would like to thank Joaquin Phoenix and Peter Singer, as well as these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Marvin Gaye, Jamie Cullen, The Specials, Modesky, Martin, and Wood, Madison McFerrin, and of course, Branford, Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. <laughs>